0: Welcome back to Typically Hazardous. This is Hank Ford. I'm sitting here with Jamie Tworkowski. Is that how you say your name? That's how you say it. Tworkowski. Yeah. Tworkowski. Yeah. I'm proud of myself because the way you see it spelled, it's that's a lot of letters. A lot of letters. Is it German or Polish? Polish. Okay. Yeah. You like sausage?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's good. My dad's my dad's side. So my great grandparents on my dad's side came from Poland.
0: Nice. Okay. Awesome. Well, you're here with us, um, and I, just in case somebody doesn't know who you are, which I don't know how that's possible, but if a person doesn't know who you are, uh, tell us five awesome things about five yourself. Beans. Um,
1: I am from Florida. Okay. I'm an uncle. I'm a surfer. I love basketball and I spend a lot of time working on a nonprofit project called to write love on our arms. Nice. And we try to bring a message of hope and help to people dealing with depression, addiction, self-injury and suicide.
0: Amazing. Amazing. So those are that, and that, that fifth one is awesome as just as well as being a surfer. Uh, what you maybe you also have a book out right now? I
1: didn't get six, so I had to cut that
0: one. Okay, you cut it. That's good. No, I'm t- I'm giving you another five. I'm gonna give you another five. So you have a, you have a book out right now called yeah. If You Feel Too Much. Uh, which is an awesome title and an awesome name. And you Thanks. how's it doing?
1: It's doing well. It yeah. came out this summer. Um I got to do a book tour, got to go all over. It was Amazing. a dream come true. And it
0: feels like you're still doing that book tour, right? Yeah, we
1: keep adding events, which has been it's super awesome. fun. I got to do like almost three weeks in, in a row and then we've been able to at events, kind of here and there. So I get to go to I go to North Carolina next week, but then I go to Honolulu in a couple weeks. Oh
0: wow! Can Jeez. you just do like a three-week book tour and you can Hawaii, kind of go anywhere? No? Oh,
1: that would be sweet. But anywhere where there's book when stores, my book comes
0: out, I'm going to call you and be like, hook me up with Hawaii. <laughs> totally. All I want to do well, is book tour there's of Hawaii. There's lots
1: of Barnes and Nobles and other places. So nice. F- okay,
0: they'll they'll have you. Perfect, perfect. And the, how's the book doing? Doing well. Yeah, lists it uh,
1: it somehow became a New York Times bestseller. Wow! So congrats. The whole thing's been amazing and and I'm so thankful that I got to do it. That's huge that's huge and as much as as long as I've known you I've probably known you
0: for seven or eight years at least. Yeah kind Um, of from a distance. Yeah from a distance so this is like a good. We're hanging out. Good hangout right here but what I've known and sort of watched you become is you've become sort of a beacon for hope and a beacon for honesty uh, for a lot of people who are dealing with depression or pain or kind of walking through that process. I remember when To, to Write Love in Her Arms first launched. It started, I thought it was like a t-shirt brand. Sure. And I was like, dude, this is, what a cool, t- what a cool idea. What a-. And then I, st- I went to a couple of your shows, the Heavy and Light shows and yeah. like other shows you did kind of around the place. And I just thought it was so cool that you essentially launched what was a, what is a hope campaign. It feels like you launched that with stories and you launched that with t-shirts and concerts and the kind of stuff we were already doing. And yeah. So I'm fascinated by your growth and expansion, and what you've got—the voice you've been able to become, just through your ability to hear and share stories, Mm. which has been really cool. Thank you, man.
1: I mean, at the time, so I was working as a sales rep for Hurley at the time, and I thought that was going to be my career. That was really my dream job growing up. And uh, met a friend; she became a friend. Met a girl uh, who was struggling with the issues that, as an organization, we still talk about today. And essentially, we started selling T-shirts as a way to pay for her treatment. And, wow. and it just really took off in a way that, you know, I couldn't have uh, tried to make happen and really couldn't even have, have dreamed up. So yeah, it, it's incredible. But T-shirts just felt like, man, that was something, that was a way I, I thought we could raise some money. And uh, it's neat that it, be, you know, has been a part of our story for a long time and it, it still is our primary source of income. That's cool.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and it, and it has that. It had that feel like, this is really awesome. And I remember thinking, I hope this sticks. Yeah. You know, like you hope you hope that there's not – because there's a lot of things that come and go, sure. and then it's like that becomes the thing people wear. And I feel like you guys have sustained this really cool brand that you built a brand, really, mm. a brand around hope and a brand around honesty. And I feel like it's so communal, and it's sustained that – Yeah that power yeah thank you man I you're uh, the Hurley you're the Hurley of hope <laughs> <laughs> you know
1: oh I was at Hurley for four years I was at Quicksilver before that okay. and I you know those are brands that expect to be around a year from now and 10 years from now and, and I think that gave me permission to to think about something that could could last you know and cool. and because we I agree with you we see so many things come and go and I, I wondered and, and hoped that we could do something that could could stay
0: yeah so take me where to where you guys are now I mean you started there when you decided to launch it met the girl started that take me to where you go where what is to write love and yeah. arms do now as an
1: organization so for the first year we were under the umbrella of another nonprofit. it feels important to mention that because we get asked a lot how, how do you do this how'd you start gave us a big brother that we could learn from And if you fast forward from then to now, we've been on our own as a a 501c3, a nonprofit. There's 12 of us who are full-time staff that work out of an office in in Melbourne, Florida, which a lot of people have heard of Melbourne, Australia, but not Uh Melbourne, Florida. We're about an hour east of Orlando. It's essentially the town I grew up in. And then in addition to our staff, we have a house full of interns. We always have six or seven or eight interns who are typically college students or folks just out of college, come from all over. We've had... You know, young people from Australia, Ireland, England, Canada uh, go through training and work alongside our team. The primary thing that they do is continue to respond to the messages that come in from people in crisis, people asking for help, people asking how to help loved ones, or even simply how to spread the word and get involved. So there's about 20 of us that, that work on this full time and so many surprising open doors, so many opportunities to talk about things that so many of us deal with, but I think few people talk about and uh, so many people, we've learned, so many people feel alone when it comes to these issues. And so we kind of wake up every day and try to be creative in letting people know, hey, it's okay to to say this out loud. And, and you're not alone if you struggle. And uh, it's possible for things to change. It doesn't mean it's easy, but we've come to believe that it's worth fighting for that. Uh, and really just some simple ideas that we hang our hat on, you know, ideas like, Community this idea that people need other people that we all need a support system and then probably at the top of the list would be professional help just encouraging people You know pointing to counseling pointing to treatment pointing to suicide hotlines crisis intervention And just letting people know that all of this stuff is okay that you don't have to fake it And so it's a really Gratifying thing that I get to do I get to meet people who say they're they're still alive or their life looks different in a good way Because of this work
0: it's cool That's cool. And so how many messages do you get? I mean, in that process, I mean, it sounds like just because you've become sort of the storyteller for hope and the storyteller for honesty in that sense, how many, um, you know, how many messages do you get a day? Do you get a lot? Is it a big volume? Is it like a slow trickle? What's that like?
1: It depends. You know, it depends on the day. I know overall, if you add it all up, we've as a team responded to just under 200,000 messages and those have come in from 100 different countries. And so that's been a, a, cool thing because I think it's it's reminded us, hey, this isn't just an American conversation, uh, it's not just a white people conversation. Early on, when we first got started, the word emo was very much this buzzword, yeah. and and I think if you unpack it, it was the idea that, oh, these isu- these issues affect people who young people who look a certain way, listen to certain music. Probably so have ri- they probably have rich parents, but they hate it, and they you know. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's been cool to push back at at a lot of those ideas and just say, hey, I think this stuff is part of being alive. It's part of being a person on this planet. And so we hear from young people, old people, people who believe different things, people who dress differently. Um, and it feels healthy to say, hey, this this seems to be people stuff. You That's know? cool. It's, it's,
0: it's the human condition. That's cool. Now for you and a lot of this conversation and like t- typically, posit- typically hazardous, the podcast, I talked to you a little bit about what that is and why that is. It's so much about the risk of adventure and what it takes to go through something super risky. And I think there's two pieces for that. One is for you to leave a really cool surf brand job I mean it sounds like you kind of is that betrayal to go from Quicksilver to Hurley or is that like well, I, does that make you a I was an for assistant
1: I was a sub rep which essentially means an assistant to the main rep at okay. Quicksilver and I was I was young I was 22 and I joke I wasn't good at it so typically when okay. you're not good at a job you don't get a better job right and somehow got this offer from Hurley where they offered me the whole state of Florida to be in charge of their sales wow
0: awesome yeah well Hurley knew what Quicksilver I guess <laughs> was not aware of but like you took a risk to leave that job And I want to get into a little bit of that, but you also took a risk to share a lot of your personal struggles in connection to this, right? I mean, some of your, the risk of honesty is a big part of it. I mean, a big part of what you invite people into is that risk. So I want to talk really about those two things, about that sort of typically hazardous. You decide to start an organization and you go, yeah, I think I want to do this. Now in your mind, did you have a sense of scale? Are you where you thought you would be? Or are you like, man, we're behind, we're almost there? Oh, no.
1: I didn't know if it could last six months. I didn't know if it could be a job for one person. I mean, that one person being me, um, there was no. There's never been a whiteboard with a five-year plan, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so the whole thing was a big surprise, and we had this unusual, amazing, exciting beginning. But a lot of things take off and then go away just as quickly. And and so the question was, can this can this last? Like, if I'm going to quit a job that I'm probably not going to get back. Right. Um, maybe I get one shot at this. Yeah. You so know? what
0: are like a couple of things going through your mind as that's happening? Cause I know there's yeah. people listening because yeah. I have coffee with these people every week of the man, I got this, I've sure. either got an idea or I've got a thing. When do I decide?
1: Yeah. I, I've just got to do it. Well, for me, it, it I kind of came to a crossroads where for a while at first I was doing both the, this to write love on arms thing was happening And at first it was built around just trying to help my friend Renee, but my sales job was being compromised. And I finally got a call from my sales manager at the time. And and it was like, things came to a head and he said, Hey, what's going on? Like what, something's wrong. And I told him this story and he didn't get it. Um, I remember he said is, I told him this story that had moved a lot of people and, and people were very encouraging of it. And he just asked if all of it was behind me, you know? Oh, wow. And, uh, and he told me that he saw a lot of himself in me and that I just needed to focus. And I actually quit the next day. Wow. And, uh, you know, I think...
0: You quit the next day because you were like, if you see a lot of me in you, I don't want to be you. There I was, mean, there you was thinking- definitely some
1: of that. And and he he was doing his job. And, and he, he's not with the company anymore. He wasn't there much longer. I think he was there a couple of weeks well, longer. Okay. But... Um, I just, the way I, because I, I get asked about it, I talk about it a lot, I felt like there'd be a mile long to for someone to take my Hurley job. They would do it well, they'd probably do it better, they'd right. have a good life, the brand would be taken care of. One of my best friends ended up getting the job and still does it, which is super cool. Nice. And over here was this other thing, this To Write Love & Arms thing that was hard to explain, it was hard to predict, but it felt too special to walk away from. And at that time, it was, it was my opportunity. And, yeah. and whatever it was going to be, I was going to have to play a big part in that. And it just felt too special to walk away from. And I felt like the, the sales job, as much as it was cool, it wasn't a great fit for me. It wasn't really what I'm wired or made to do. And this write Love in Arms thing was, was everything I had been interested in, cared about, maybe learned about, you know, everything from t-shirts to writing to music, to trying to care about people. And it just felt like, man, I, I think it's worth, a try you know wow. and not only that but it had momentum i think it's a much harder question there's people that have great ideas but they have no audience they have no momentum right and i try to honor them and say hey that that's a much harder place we totally. had a very or a we thing started you should get first before totally you, don't so, quit your job yeah, until, yeah, I mean, until we you know you we had a growing audience and money coming in before the decision to start a non-profit so yeah, it was this right. one in a million scenario yeah. but yeah it just felt like i i, I thought it might be the chance to bring my heart to work. And that's that's a chance. That's a a phrase that I think I use a lot to explain it. And when I talk to young people to try to encourage them to do that kind of job, Hmm. because so many people do jobs that they hate or at least don't like. And, uh, and I'm thankful. And I feel like our team is thankful that we get to do something that feels significant and meaningful.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So for you, when you're, you're going through this process and you're doing this for Renee, but in along that way, and like kind of parallel to that, you're also in a position in your life where you're having. Do you have any solidarity with her, like just in terms of your own story yeah, and yeah. maybe struggle with pain? What was yeah. that like to sort of? Because honestly, as you become that guy, or when you become that guy, then everybody's going to go, "Oh, okay. So does he struggle with sure, some of sure. these same things? Yeah. Was that a risk? Did you have that thought of like going, "Man, do I? Yeah.
1: Open this really up to the world. For me, um." I'm someone who struggles with depression, and I, I have for years. And uh, there's people in my family who struggle with addiction. I, I, Renee was the first person I ever met who struggled with self-injury. And I've known people that have died by suicide, never never someone extremely close to me. Obviously, I've met a lot of people and heard a lot of stories in the, in the last 10 years. But, but when it started, that was all true. But for me, depression has been the one that's the most personal to my own journey. And um, it's been interesting, you know, uh, figuring out how to be honest, how much to share, what's appropriate, what's healthy, trying to write and feeling called to write in a way that's honest and and to communicate in a way that's honest, but also trying to figure out boundaries and and what's healthy. And, And, you know, there's times where it feels tempting or it's one option to share something in a blog that people might respond to but maybe it's actually something that should be shared with a friend over coffee right, and, sure. and having to, I think, yeah. navigate. And some of that's just growing up. You know, I mean, I was 26 when this started. I'm 35 now. And a lot of it, I think, was learning the hard way. I mean, the, the most extreme case would be I was supposed to get on a plane to go speak at an event somewhere, and our, I was going through a breakup. I was really, just really hurting. And our team, a few people sat me down and just said, we don't think you should go somebody else is going to go like, they'll take care of it. We think you need to stay home and take care of you. And, um, and so I think just learning, I got comfortable standing on a stage talking about, it's okay to be honest. It's okay to get help. It's okay to take medicine. It's, you should go to counseling. But I got comfortable saying that stuff before I had taken those steps. And so in the last, you know, five years those things have changed where now I can speak from a place of, hey, I, I've been on antidepressants for the last several years. I, I've had different seasons of sitting with a counselor. Yeah. And uh I've come to believe that honesty is contagious. So my hope is if I can be honest about my own struggle and, and some of the steps I've taken, um, and even the healing and stability that I've found that it Makes it easier for someone else to take some of those steps.
0: Oh, that's cool. So diving into some of those topics or some of those things that you did that you talk about, do you feel like desp- depression is a spiritual thing?
1: Oh man, I've never been asked. Our friend Rob says everything is spiritual. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't know if that gets me it's off the hook. It's a great tour. If you didn't see it, you I, need to... I don't know if that gets me off the hook for an answer. I don't know
0: if it does. Like, do you feel like... Because I feel like in so many ways, I mean, I think some of... And maybe you've you've experienced this too, when people deal with... Struggle with mental illness or depression or anxiety, or I mean, down the, l- down the line, right? There's a pray it away kind Oof. of school of thought. And then there's sure. other people who will go, no, absolutely take medication. Do you think there's a space where... There is something spiritual uh, uh, happening or unease. When, when I'm, there's a guy who uh, just recently tweeted and said, an athlete who yeah. recently tweeted and said, I just wasn't right spiritually. Yeah, and he's just, he's explaining why he couldn't perform and what was going on in his life and how he kind of stepped stepped back. When your soul is not at rest, when your soul is off, yeah, when something is wrong, do you feel like sometimes that that expresses itself in? some of these things that we are now pointing at or seeing those things, or do you feel like it's something completely chemical where I guess yeah. it, in your experience, having 11 years now yeah, or yeah. nine years now of this experience, um, would you say that depression is a spiritual experience or a spiritual thing?
1: Man, that's such a good question. And I've honestly never been asked it. Um, I definitely, it feels important to admit, I think we spend more time. I spend more time thinking and responding, just encouraging people, Hey, go to counseling go to counseling yeah. um, but I think I think what it what it points to or the common ground is that depression can affect so many parts of life you know there can be so many different indicators and ways it plays out and I think how you go about addressing it can be multifaceted as well yeah um, so yes go to counseling maybe you need to take medicine if you do that's okay but your diet matters your sleep matters exercise matters like there's all you know what i mean yeah right, um right and and that spiritual, yeah, yeah, the yeah, spiritual and part and is one piece of that totally right? like yeah that makes total sense yeah. yeah and i mean too like there's so much common ground i mean you look at the the 12-step program and there's there's a spiritual aspect of that you look at people so many people who speak so highly of things like yoga or even even just exercise in general yeah, right and the idea hey is there a spiritual component to that yeah.
0: or the religion of CrossFit <laughs> yeah which you're a part of now. <laughs> which I'm I no, I'm, I'm I'm easily I'm just visiting I'm okay into, good I haven't I haven't I don't I don't have to give money yet I'm still visiting so in some of that and one of the conversations you and I had you're fa- by the way fantastic on Twitter I feel like Twitter is like your you tweet like other people text. You're just <laughs> on it all the time, and we've gone back and forth. And we actually had like a, a disagreement on oh, Twitter. Yeah, we did. A couple years ago,
1: I think. These private like messages.
0: It, it sort of. And then you publicly tweeted. It. it was it was wonderful. I loved it because you got like you got like everyone's opinion. But the the oh, statement yeah. that I made, and I'd love to talk to you about this statement, is the statement I made was in order to heal, we have to end our love affair with pain. Mm. And you were the first person to respond and first people person to direct message. And I actually had the thought while I was listening to a Kanye song and I was listening to the new album that he had dropped and listening to it and just going, we are, we, I felt like we memorialized or we were like popularizing the more I've been through and the more I'm going through right now, like the more awesome or hard or cool you were. And I felt like to actually move to healing felt like the unpopular uncool sort of like schoolboy type thing to do, but mm. to really be a thug or really to be cool, you kinda gotta carry your wound a little bit. Mm. So I would just love like and I know we went back and forth yeah, a whole yeah, bunch yeah. over Twitter, but I'd love to just talk through if you feel like in some sense, do you feel like as a culture that we sort of popularize or we make famous those who hurt or we make it cool to be wound identified? Or do you feel like that's a that's yeah, an overgeneralization? I think,
1: no, no, no. I think well I think it it can be that phrase that you used, I think could mean different things to different people, you know what I mean? And, and so I think, I think that's probably like, even as I sit here now, that's what comes to mind is what you said makes total sense. And I totally agree with it. And there's someone else who might take offense to it because they feel like they, like it's not a love affair, but they don't know how to escape it. You know what I mean? Like, Like there's pain seems to be this common thread through their story and they've maybe they've done all the right things, they've taken all the right steps, and um, and it feels like pain has a love affair with them, maybe. Sure, you know what yeah. I mean? yeah. So like I think it holds them as opposed to them. Yeah, yeah, but I think on. there's truth on both sides, and and I have a friend who calls things like that like a pregnant statement. Like there's so much yeah, to right. it, you know? Um,
0: Which makes it good. It got a lot of retweets, <laughs> you know? <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're but, right. But, I, I totally yeah. see, and that's what I, and I think I even said that over Twitter, like I totally see how a person would go Wait a minute! I don't love this. Like I hate this. I think whereas a, a part of what's be, what's cool in LA or whatever is to talk about man. It, oh yeah. It gives you the look in your eye, and it kind of gives you that brokenness. Yeah. And I remember I was at a fashion week as a photographer, and one of the guys leaned over and he said, "Man, broken people photograph so much better than healthy people." And I was like, "Sorry, what?" I was <laughs> like, "Yeah." He goes, "You you give me somebody who's done a lot of coke," and he's like, They'll, "Their their pictures will look beautiful." And I was like. I don't even. I didn't even know how to calculate yeah, that. Yeah, in yeah. my brain is like, I just yeah. didn't know where that fit. And I don't remember who said it or yeah, yeah. who said it to me. I just remember thinking, no. Yeah. I, in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna take pictures of healthy people. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take pictures of healthy people and go, no, you can. I want to take pictures of healthy people who used to be broken. Yeah. As a op- or used. To, I mean, everybody still. We're all still broken, but who went through it as opposed to somebody who's sort of in the mix of. Yeah. Of a post Coke bin. Sure. Does that sure. make sense? Like, yeah.
1: No, man. I think what you're saying makes. I mean, I. Like even The weekend, as an example, the artist, mm-hmm. The Weeknd, um, who I've heard has a girlfriend now, which I'm actually, I think is good news because it's all of, not all, but it feels like all of his songs, it's like, it's drugs, it's excess, it's sex, it's, they're painful songs. Like, right. you know sure. what I mean? Like where you would hope for better for him, for anyone. Um, and, and so that would be an example. Like he's a superstar at the moment. Sure. And, and it, there's so much pain in those songs. And I you know? feel
0: that I mean, I feel that even with Adele, like twenty that twenty five album, which mm. by the way is on repeat. In yeah, my yeah, yeah. If you can like if you look back, I'm not on the phone, I'm singing Yeah. I'm not talking on my Bluetooth, I'm singing the Adele songs <laughs> yeah. and having a moment. But I feel like there's so much of that we would glorify a little bit of that wound identified totally. space. Like yeah. do you feel how do you feel like and I guess this would be my question for you of being an expert in the space, is how do people heal and move away from a wound identification where this becomes their their thing. Oh, they're the guy who broke up with the girl. Oh, they're the person who had, who was abused. They're the person who, like, how do you move out of that wound identified space into a space where you, that's not what people know you for. Yeah, yeah. And that's not what people feel you for. No, Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, even that, the difference between, you know, the victim and the, the wounded healer. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, I don't know the, I can't remember the exact quote. Maybe I think Anne Lamott said, you can't use your own sick mind to heal your own sick mind. Oh, wow. Yeah. So one, I think a starting point is like, you're going to need other people. You're going to need other perspectives. You're going to need other voices. We love to point to wisdom in the form of professional help. I mean, I, I end up sounding like a broken record. I'm, I'm almost just, I feel like my job is to get people on the life raft to counseling, you know, and yeah, just to right. try to be creative and disarming and encouraging and making that okay. And, yeah. and, 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 not even pretending to be an expert of everything that happens once they get there but i think in a in a unique space to just say hey it's you, that's where you should go and that's yeah. okay for me the starting point is you're going to have to talk about your pain you're going to have to want to talk about it in a way that's healthy not just wallowing not right. just staying yeah. there um so i think you know talking we all need a support system we all need friends that we can be honest with But I think counseling is so often a a great first step, you know? And and so that's, I think, what we point to the most. And from there, you can figure out, hey, is it a specific form of therapy? Is it counseling and medication? Right. You know what I mean? Right. But I think that's the thing we point to the most is, hey, there's people that have dedicated a big part of their lives, certainly their careers, to helping folks through these things. Yeah, You know, to helping people through the hardest parts of their story. So that's a great place to start. It's cool. It's cool.
0: So for you, I feel like pain is some is sometimes the greatest burden and then, and then sometimes in retrospect and oftentimes for me only in retrospect mm. is a great teacher. Yeah. Uh, how, have you, Has your pain taught you something? Has your depression taught you something?
1: I think it just, it makes it personal because I'm aware of the opportunity I have to, along with our team, to bring, hope to people, to try to encourage people. And I get to meet people who say they're still alive because of this work that we do. And cool. so to me, it's, I can't imagine a bigger honor in terms of a compliment to receive or, yeah, or a, a, a thing to experience. Um, and it makes it personal. It's not to say I couldn't do this work if I didn't struggle with depression, but I'm aware that I relate. Yeah, It, it doesn't right. mean that I relate perfectly to everyone but I am aware of the struggle in my own life and um, I'm thankful that hopefully that helps me interact with other people and even even talk and write about these things yeah. from, a, from a place that's personal and that's- and also that not just that pain but but trying to journey through it so the, the counseling the the medicine side of it that I've taken those steps and now I can be honest about that stuff
0: yeah do you think that the I guess the struggle is use the word the struggle with depression. Do you feel like that's a lifelong thing or do you feel like there's a, is there a day where you go, uh, I'm past that.
1: Hmm. I'm through that struggle now. I I don't know. In my own story, I haven't reached that day. I've, I've gotten off antidepressants and then I've gotten back on. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's my place to, to make a blanket statement. Um, but just for you, like, yeah, do, yeah. So do you d- expect that, or is it I a don- day? And that's
0: just my experience. Sure, like, going, sure. do you expect that, or do you look at it and you go, uh, "No, this is just something. This is something I'm going to learn how to live with well." Yeah, which I feel like is the same. I have, and not in the same way. I have a a really high pitched ringing in my ears that started about a year and a half ago. Yeah, I don't expect it to ever go away. Sure. So the way because when I do, then that's when I get anxious. Like, why won't it go away now? And now. So there's some sense in which I go, I'm going to learn to live with a sound in my ear that only me and Bono hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I like tell myself, me, Bono, and Chris Martin <laughs> have have tinnitus. Yeah, yeah. We hear a high-pitched frequency that no other human, yeah. you know, and then I run into people who do. <laughs> but I, I wonder, is it the same for you, where you yeah. kind of go, yeah, I have this struggle, but it, I don't expect it to go away. I just yeah. expect to learn how to deal. Dude,
1: it's a great question, because it's honestly not something I think about. Um I want to be open to that because I think if I'm not open to that, I am saying it's a part of my identity. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's why I think like, I'm not married to the idea. Oh, I need to be on antidepressants for the rest of my life. Um, There might be a day where I come off it and stay off it, but I'm also open to staying on, or maybe it'll be a little bit of a roller coaster, a little bit of a journey with, with different seasons. I know for me, some of it's circumstantial. So for me, and this isn't, rocket science a lot of people share this experience but seasons of heartache or breakups hit me really hard and and I haven't had one of those in a while so um it's been relatively smooth sailing okay, you know yeah. <laughs> um I'm just someone who I I think not to dodge the question but I know I'm someone who feels things deeply I mean that that's where the title of my book came from I feel like I am someone who feels things too much mm-hmm. and thankfully other people feel that way they relate as well so I I don't want to lose that. I am thankful that I feel things. I feel like that's part of being human. You know, we all we all do. Um but man, that's an interesting question cuz cool. you're asking good questions. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um okay, so three questions just to wrap up our Yeah, yeah. time together. The
1: first one would be what's your favorite thing about life? My favorite thing about life. Man, that's a great question. My nephews are the first thing that come to mind, like I feel like when people ask you know, favorite thing that makes me smile i have two two little nephews one and 3 and uh and those guys have really changed so many things for our family i mean i know you have young kids so yep. you you get it but uh yeah in a way that's hard to explain um i just feel like they help me slow down and you know how how cool it is to see the world through their eyes yeah right and they don't care if i'm successful or accomplished like they just want me to love them and play with them like there's just so many healthy takeaways so they're definitely near the top of the list normally it's a little bit of a a package deal like there's i I figured out there's a few things like i'm a i'm a basketball fan i love surfing great Yeah, nephews to
0: basketball okay next so next question would be if you could give the world one gift what would it be
1: whoa I mean hope comes to mind. I feel like that's the thing I wake up and think about and work on. I think I have a heart for people not only people who deal with pain, but I think I have a heart I notice people who feel alone. Um and yeah, I mean hope's hope's a broad word, you know, yeah that, sure. that can be unpacked and there's a lot to it. Um but I think if if you Maybe one way of thinking about hope is just the, the idea that things could change. You start cool. to believe that tomorrow could look different or there eventually could be a tomorrow that looks different from today. Yep. Um, I get excited about that. Cool. If you and God had a conversation right now,
0: what would he say to you? Man, I don't know. Because I, I have a sense. I ask I ask everybody this question at the end of this podcast. I have a sense that God is in constant communication with all of us in our pain, in our joy, in all of it. And my sense is that most of our awareness or moments where we go, I feel like God is communicating this to me, mm. is him going, I have been saying this your whole life yeah, and communicating it to you. And when you, you ever have that moment where you look back and you go, it was so obvious. Like you yeah, see a movie yeah. and you're like, he's the bad. Of course he's the bad guy. It's the same as when you're having a conversation with God, where you have this moment where you're like, I feel like God is communicating something to me. And you look back and you go, he said it. Via a stranger at an airport, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he said it. Via this thing got got canceled, or that girl that broke my heart, or, yeah, yeah. like all those moments. So I feel like we're we already know,
1: we just don't know we know. Yeah, man. I think I mean, a few simple things, but you know, everything from I love you to you're enough. You know, because um, I feel I feel like I I'm. I surprise people because I'm a guy who smiles a lot and talks about hope and struggles with depression and is good at good at telling everyone else to have hope and you know I mean I joke like most of my friends who know me the most like wouldn't necessarily say Hey Jamie's a super happy person right you know and that would I think surprise a lot of people so I think just some of those. So maybe the question would be, what would you hope God would say to you? I think just, I love you. I'm proud of you. Um, You're enough is one I think about, because I feel like I spend a lot of time just kind of beating myself up and thinking about regrets and, and things I wish were different, things that are missing. Um, and that's when I feel called to tell other people. I like telling other people that they're enough. And, um, so I, I think I believe in a deep down, I believe in a God who sees us that way. And yeah. I feel like I need to he- hear those things and be reminded of those things. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Last question. What's the difference between hope and healing? Holy moly. I should have studied for this. Um, Hope and healing. I think hope, I said it a second ago, but I I feel like for me, it's become a definition that hope is believing that things could look different. Yeah. We're not there yet, but things could begin to change. And I think healing is, is maybe when that process begins to take place, you know, when, um, yeah, like the, the past begins to become the past, you know, like when, yeah. when the, the present starts to look different. Uh, I think they're definitely intertwined and relate. Yeah, and right. O- overlap. Um, and I think neither one is necessarily an all or nothing thing. Like we, yeah. we need a bit of both and both can be a struggle and, and we forget one day and remember another day. Um, again, not to Dodge the question. Yeah, sure. No, but, it's great. But yeah, I think.
0: No, but I think it, you're totally right. It's a double helix, right? There's hope. You need hope in the process to get to healing. But if you just stay with hope, the implication. I guess it was always my and for Mosaic, our long term was we were we wanted to be a voice of hope. Yeah. And I feel like a part of being a voice of hope, as a part of our mission statement, was beautiful. But I always wanted to make sure that everybody who had was a, who heard our voice of hope. We're connected to healing, because mm. if you only have hope, sort of a, yeah. uh, a man's search for meaning type of concept. If you only have hope, my my internal implication is that you just you never got to those first sure. steps, like you described those first steps where you go, healing is actually happening. Yeah, that there's actually hope in the healing. Totally, that you can get it. Uh, you start to get that help. You start to get to yeah. that place. And so I think you're totally right. It's a double helix of
1: yeah, kind of those when, two pieces. When things begin to change, it gives you permission to believe that things can continue to change. So I, I mean, totally saying what you just said, like how they intertwine.
0: Yeah. And I always, I would always tell people we want to be a voice of hope, but we want people to follow that voice to our hope, which our hope is in God. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in faith. Our hope is in love. Our hope is in community. Our hope is in each other. Like we can constantly. So, I mean, I guess that's what I always, what I always tell people is if you're looking for hope, listen to wherever you hear it, mm. follow that voice to yeah. wherever, whoever the loudest hope voice is, go yeah. for them, yeah. go towards them. If I'm not that person you go, wherever that, yeah. wherever that place that kind of gives you that space. So Jamie, a couple questions came in from Twitter. I thought you could just rip off and give me kind of short answers to these. Uh, does Jamie consider himself a motiv- motivational speaker or an
1: inspirational speaker? Oh man, <laughs> I don't consider myself either one. If I had to choose between those two words, I'd, I'd probably go inspirational. Okay, gotcha. I, I don't, I'm just I'm, a a dude who. I feel like motivational talks.
0: speaker speaker yeah. is uh, what's his name? What's his name? Matt Foley on Saturday Night Live. Oh yeah. So whenever people are like, oh you you give motivational like if a person comes to church and hears me yeah, talk, yeah, yeah. and they don't have a faith background, they go, oh you're a great motivational speaker. It's like. No, 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 no. I, I yeah. no. I'm sure there's people out yeah. there who do that, but that's uh, that's just a hard word. Totally. Saturday Night life ruined that I word for to me forever. I tend to make it. Sim- I'm like, no,
1: I'm just a person who talks sometimes. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, what would you say are the healthiest habits twenty-somethings can implement into their lives?
1: Oh man, I think we all need a support system. We all need real friends that we can be honest with. We're kind of, especially people in their 20s, the generation of the status update and so the the pictures we like to hold up the trophies we hold up throughout the day and i like to ask the question who gets to see the rest of it like who gets to yeah. see the the stuff that you don't that you're not proud of that you wish was different who do you have those conversations with because that facebook stuff can be so dishonest about what's really happening in a person's yeah. life i
0: actually had an idea maybe you're my co-founder for this what are is doing? instagram for all the other moments yes like a the sucksgram. you know what i mean like <laughs> This is me feeling fat in the mirror. And it's not yeah, a selfie of yeah, yeah. my abs. It's a selfie of like my huge nipples or something. Yeah. And then you have a person who goes like, Did hey. Did you start dad bod? Did you, is I didn't, but I have one right now. I, <laughs> no way. All the travel and stuff, it's been getting me. But I, I, my body disappears. Like I can go to CrossFit and be like, dude, this is amazing. And two yeah. days later, it's like, I look like Leonardo DiCaprio on that beach or yeah. whatever. You know, like it's
1: yeah. the old, old Leonardo DiCaprio. So uh, friends, counseling rest, exercise, play. I think a lot of people, especially, you know, we're here in LA, a lot of people work incredibly hard. They're ambitious. They yep. they live with a lot of stress and pressure. And um, I think trying to encourage people as much as they can to make space to, to rest, to take care of you, to, to do things that make you smile and make you feel alive. Well, Jamie, it's been so
0: cool, not only just to sit down and talk to you now, but really to watch the arc of what you've done. I have so much respect for how you've built it. And I admire so much kind of what you've done. I had a friend recently tell me that every every cause needs a storyteller. Mm. And uh, I think you are that storyteller for hope. And you're that storyteller for people who are in pain and struggle with, with honesty. And I'm just so grateful for what you do in the world. I'm so grateful for the beacon you've been in the world and how you're the one that holds that torch the highest. And I hope when people are looking for hope, they hear your voice and they keep following you to your community they keep following you to your ethic and to the honesty and they keep following you to find the God that
1: cares about them mm-hmm. so much. Thank you, man. So. That that means a lot. That's an honor and I think you're awesome and I'm I'm glad we got to hang out a little bit.
0: Cool, you're stood. Thanks, man. <laughs>